0: So, I am so delighted and honored that I can be in the midst of saints, uh, and that's uh, the reality of the body of Christ, and that we can be members of each other. Well, just uh, being in Labri, I refreshed my readings in Francis Schaeffer, and in one of his uh, books, he uh, he says this, it's, about, it's a short article, in fact, Walking Through the Mud is the title, where he says, we are not to be people of escape, the Christian is to be the realist. Now, I think that the most courageous people on earth are the Christians. Uh, No wonder why Jesus called cowards. If you are a coward, then you are the most courageous in Christ. Why I'm saying this? I knew a pastor in Romania during the communist regime. He told me, once I was alone in the house, I was so afraid that I let the light on. I'm a coward by nature. I have fears. And this man became one of the heroes of faith for me. When he was interrogated, he was supernaturally, supernaturally courageous. He would tell face-to-face the secret police officer that uh, the Lord is seeking you and uh, wants to give you forgiveness. Well, I think... Uh, this is the way how God works, a Christian is to be the realist. A Christian is the most realist creature on this earth. Because usually, uh, the people who don't follow Jesus, became, uh, usually they would become idealists, or they would uh, be materialists, but not real- realist. <clears throat> What does that mean, to be a realist, according to this chapter in front of us? It means that David could face reality. When we deal with the problems of addicts, any addiction is a kind of escapism. They try to escape reality. They don't dare to face it. And it's very difficult for a human being to face the reality. The reality of God, the reality of this creation, and the reality of sin, and the reality of salvation from sin. It's all belong to God's big story. And from creation... Through salvation, we go toward restoration, the restoration of God. So when I sit down for counseling, or, or many of our co-workers would sit down with a, an addict, even the most hopeless case might disappoint you when, when you talk about uh, about. Uh, Uh, his life or uh, or her life, what, what kind of difficulties that person went through. But it's good to remember that as God will restore the whole creation, the same way I can look to this person and I can hope for that person, because most of these people lost their faith because they are not realists. So that's what we have to um, face, and what is in this chapter which uh, resonates with this? Well, it is the prayer of David. He has uh, three things what he faced, and once he faced that, he burst into praise and stands in awe before God. Because when facing himself, verse eighteen, he says uh, he sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? To be a Christian means to have a, a good, uh, to be in touch with reality. But being in touch with reality means that you marvel, that you are full of awe, and you face yourself under that awesome wonder. Who am I that you were so gracious to me? Who am I that you had mercy upon me and upon my family this is the way how uh, david expressed his awe and then second david is in you know, awe facing god not just himself but facing god the other part of the reality and he says in verse 22 how great you are sovereign lord Uh, You can see, Sovereign Lord appears a lot in this prayer. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And then, thirdly, uh, David is facing the relationship between God and Israel, between God and man, In the covenant, and just looking to this amazing relationship, what uh, God uh, created between himself and his elect, he burst into awe, and he says, And who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself. And to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people, Israel, as your very own forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, a Christian can marvel on who he is, who his God is, and who... Uh, who is the bond between God and the elect. is the Holy Spirit. That's the way how Augustine expressed that the bond between the Father and the Son, the bond of love, is the Holy Spirit. The connection or the relationship, we can say. The relationship in love is the Holy Spirit. So it's like David uh, uh, looking to the glory of God and reflecting on himself, on sovereign Lord, and on the relationship what the Lord created between himself and his chosen people. Now, <clears throat> the story starts with uh, uh, David pondering on his situation. And he he, he's having a coffee with Nathan probably in the evening, and chatting around and marveling, "I I have peace now, no, no more wars. Uh, it's nice. It's shalom. We can we can relax." And talks to Nathan, and uh, you know you can sometimes you can have a coffee even with uh, the prophet who was so tough with you. <laughs> And as they sit there, David started to think, oh, I am living in a house of cedar. But what about the ark of the Lord? It's not fair. I think this is good uh, good sense. It's, uh, it's a, a wonderful way to feel about God. It's not fair that I am so well off and what about god's ark so as a comparison i should uh, i should build a house to the name of the lord does he did he say that to nathan no they were in a good good relationship so he just mentioned and nathan immediately knew what david was thinking so he replied without david telling him what was on his heart david uh, nathan already uh, knew what what was uh, david's idea so he replied this is noble this is rational this is this makes sense just do it just do it what is on your heart it it seems to be god's will in every detail would be God honoring and God glorifying idea. And he walked home. And that's what we see in uh, verse three. But <clears throat> later on the Lord appeared to Nathan. And uh, Nathan started to hear God's word which is so opposite to, to the noblest idea. It's about David. Are you the one who is going to build me a house? No, I think it's the other way around. I am the one who is going to build you a house. And now I like this, the, the encounter between God And a human being. Is that not very realistic in our Christian life? Sometimes we plan. We have a spark of an idea. We plan. Oh, this is for God's glory. I should do this for His name's sake. I should push ahead with love and with commitment. All is noble. All is with reason. Uh, But the the answer is no. No, (laughs) that's not the answer of God. The answer is not now. (laughs) And not you. That's the answer. The problem is that whenever I want to do something for the sake of God's glory, the me might be too big. (laughs) The ego not now. Slow down, Levante. Slow down. Not now. And if Levante thinks, okay, Lord, I, I can wait, but I will wait. Then the Lord says, not you, even. But I will build. I will build. I remember it was in 1999, we started to pray to have a therapy center. Um, on the property which in a strange accident uh, uh, became our uh, possession. The property of an old medieval castle, well, sorry, uh, in Britain there are different castles. What we call a castle is just a manor, but anyway, uh, a nice small jewel of that place, uh, historical place, but it was derelict. And we were looking around on the property and there was a granary there which was in a better condition. So we checked the granary. Uh, Well, it would cost us uh, in the estimation of the architect 250,000 euros to restore it. Oh well, (laughs) nobody can achieve that. But I had lovely Christians around me who were keen to pray. And we prayed for two things. The, the first thing was that in five years' time, we might be able to open the therapy center in the granary. And uh, Minister Ferenc should preach at the opening. Now, that was a an old fellow 82 years old by that time so these prayer warriors were keeping him alive for another 5 years <laughs> and uh, just for the uh, for the uh, for the amusement i should add to it that Uh, In his last two years, he would turn down any kind of invitation, not even for a Bible study. He was so sick and fragile and uh, weak. And uh, when the five years were over, I went to him. He lived 150 kilometers away from where I am, knocked on his door, and the family was outraged, what I want to do. Don't you know that for two years he turned down all the the invitations. And I said, will you come and preach at the opening of our therapy center? And he said, of course I will, (laughs) to the shock of the family. And he came and he preached and it was a, a powerful message. Nobody would know by that time That, that was his last sermon. It, it turned out to be his last. But when, once he finished and, and he went back into the, the van, his grandson was driving the van, he just asked me to come closer, say goodbye and he said, now tell me, who are those praying terrorists who made me to come here? And he laughed, as you laugh with me now, you know. So the, the wonderful thing happened that actually after five years, the granary was provided for uh, to be completed in a heavenly way, uh, which all started with 15 pounds of uh, homeless in London who was a recovered alcoholic. So once I got those 15 pounds, he said, this is all my savings. I knew that God answered our prayer. From that on, I was sure. That was only in 2002, but the granary could be open in 2005. But there was another prayer there. We wanted the castle to become a conference center, to become a place where we can run the children's camp, the teenagers' camp, the aftercare programs. And, you know, you can imagine... We, we we are dreaming about, of course, for God's glory to have a building for the sake of his uh, uh, work. And I even prayed by that time that in 2008 we might be able to open the, the castle for that. And it, this never happened. See, now that's interesting. Sometimes you have to be prepared. Sometimes your prayers are not answered. For example, Elijah prayed, it's enough, Lord, take away my life. It's a prayer which never was answered because he never died, right? So (laughs) you, you pray, it's like Luther said, you ask for silver, but God will give you gold. Watch out, not all your prayers are answered. And this is the way how David turned to Nathan. And Nathan was, oh, that's a wonderful idea for the glory of the Lord. But the Lord had a different plan. And it's, it's so nice uh, that uh, the plan of David and of Nathan was put on hold. That's guidance. That's the guidance of the Lord. Uh, now, there are uh, some, some uh, similar stories in, in our Old Testament. Like Eli, the priest, he was, uh, <clears throat> if you remember, when he noticed uh, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, He he thought, oh, this woman must be drunk. (laughs) He assumed that she is drunk and started to rebuke her. Or think of the son of Hannah, Samuel, when he was searching for who is who might be the king from the sons of uh, Esai, and he saw first Eli. Eliab, I don't know how you say that in English, sorry, (laughs) the name. Anyway, Eliab, and we we are told in our Bible that uh, the prophet immediately thought, this is a man fitting for becoming a king. But the Lord said, no, it's not what is before your eyes, because the Lord looks to the heart. So the prophet was wrong. And then you can have lots of similar stories like, uh, like for example, David thought that Nabal, this rude man, has to be punished by God's justice. And I am playing the, the arm of God against him. And then Abigail stopped David and he came back to his senses. Oh, no. And and praised the woman who stopped him, and then you see here, uh, well, one more one more example: when David was forced into exile, his son rebelled against him. You remember that story? Absalom, the son, was uh, just about to enter the, uh, Jerusalem. And uh, the father went into exile. And what happened? The two priests came with the ark. And they said, let's go with you and bring the ark of the Lord uh, into exile. That would um, be a warranty of, of God's presence because that's the ark of the Lord for. And then David said, no, no, stay here. Keep the ark with you in Jerusalem, because if it is God's will, I will return. So he could uh, correct uh, his view, his, um, his understanding, um, as, as we can see. Now, <clears throat> we often mean well, but lack the wisdom of God. Uh, If you are a follower of Jesus, don't assume that you know what is the will of God. I fell so many times in this trap. I became too much of a self-confident person, and I failed, thanks God. (laughs) And that's glorious for him. Now, it was a good and godly plan for God's glory, and God will not have it. A human plan must be corrected by a divine revelation. Now, that happens when the prophet returns to his place. And that's, that's what we read in verse 6 and 7. See that? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Now it's so interesting God's humility because uh, the 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 word is is uh, refers to God as if God would have some kind of playfulness because uh, He is just expressing to to David, uh, it says, wherever, in verse 7, wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? It's a certain playfulness, isn't it? He never lobbied Israel's uh, previous leaders about uh, building him a proper temple. God doesn't need the castle of Oost. God doesn't need my ministry. God, uh, God can do it even better without me, you know. <laughs> That's the playfulness. And it is uh, you can see that in the original Hebrew verse, Yashab stands for to sit, to remain, to dwell. And uh, halak, the other other word, what uh, the author is using for God moving with Israel, is halak to walk around back and forth in a tent, to be dynamic, not settled. Now I I remember reading uh, a book on missions that. Uh, I I can't remember who was the author. He said, our churches look uh, like very static. But mission is about dynamic. It is more like the tent in Israel rather than the temple of Solomon, which is static. The problem is that we wait people to come in into the church we are very static, whereas there is the dynamic of the gospel. We we ought to preach the gospel. The dynamic means you go out and share the good news and uh, and move uh, halak, move, walk around back and forth in a in a tent. He never settled in a house because he has been on the go. That was God's idea. So now you want to stop me in my mission? It's like this, you know. Okay, you have a cedar house, but I don't need that. It's nice. Your common sense is telling you what to do. It's not fair to let God uh, dwell in a tent. But the tent is uh, flexible. Now... <clears throat> There is one more aspect here which uh, is so nice, that uh, God was a God who always traveled with Israel. He would always move together with his people. How can he settle down when they are not settled yet? Are they pilgrims? So he is the pilgrim God. And uh, you can read in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 12. You can read about this in verse 9, beginning with verse 9. Since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you, but you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest From all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts and all the choice possessions you have wove to the Lord. So what is God, God's priority? God's priority is his, his people and not himself. I cannot rest unless my people is restless or until my people is, is not uh, resting. And that was the way how our Savior died on the cross. He put first his people. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And and only when all the great accomplishment of redemption was over, only then he said, uh, it, it's enough. It, it's done. It's over. Right? So uh, can't can't remember the English word right now, but you know that word on the cross. When everything is done. He could not rest. Before that, he put his people before himself. His last thought on the cross was you and your salvation. Because you are lost. And he became a lost for the losers and the lost. Right? This is the amazing way how God is working. Now... Can you feel the astounding condensation of God here in this prayer? Uh, sorry, in this uh, message of Nathan to David, which prompted David to pray with awe and marvel. And now, uh, I, I would call uh, this the Philippians to uh Verses 5 to 8 of the Old Testament. <laughs> like, that's that's the hymn about the humility of God in the New Testament. But here you have the hymn of his humility in the Old Testament. It's a nice parallel. And then you can see in verse uh, 9, beginning with verse 9 to 11... Uh, so, sorry, in verse 8 and 9... You can see grace in the past, the experienced grace. This is how God started. And then he continues with the promised grace, verse 9 to 11. It's so wonderful how God reminds David of the graces of the past. He says, I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. It's interesting if you put in parallel this with the prayer of David later on, when he says uh, in verse 23 that, Uh, God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself. So, God is giving David a great name, and David gives God a great name. He would not really bother himself with the great name. He put God's name as a priority. He's learning the humility of God. He's learning and putting in practice. And then you can go further on as as we read there in verse um, uh, ten. And I will place I, I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plan them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel I will also give you rest from all your enemies so you have the experienced grace in the past God is reminding us and then he is pointing to the future the promised grace of the future you can see Again, the marvel here it's about you I am going to build you a house David it's not you that you should build me a house but I will build up your house and then he's turning to his people, to Israel to the relationship between Israel and his God so that David might be Uh, completely shocked by the presence of the Lord. Uh, Having said that, it is uh, really an amazing thing how David could understand God through that message. But how Nathan got that same message? It's always a mystery how the prophets could hear God's word because Somehow, the revelation revealed to Nathan overwrote the reasoning of Nathan and the reasoning of David, overwriting our common sense. This is the way, the mysterious way, how the Lord is guiding us. Well, to make it uh, uh, more uh, under, uh, well... Uh, to, To bring you closer, in Numbers, at the end of chapter 7, verse 89, we read, When Moses entered the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim above the atonement cover of the ark of the testimony. And he spoke with him. That is the word Middabber. Here, this is a reflexive form. The supernal glory, as it were, is speaking to itself, and Moses overhears it. That's an amazing way how revelation comes. Moses was honored to overhear what God told himself. Even, uh, I'm quoting now a Jewish source, A rabbinic source. It's interesting that even in the Old Testament, you can sense the Trinity. I wonder why the rabbis were not aware of this. God talking to himself means the father talks to the son, and the son talks to the Holy Spirit. There is a communication between the persons of the Trinity. And what is God's honor and grace when you can overhear it. So, did you have your morning devotion today? Did you just read your Bible? Or you overheard the whispers of love and grace? Could you hear that? Some of the Puritans could overhear that. Thomas Boston is describing how the father was talking to the son... It was a covenant in between the Father and the Son. Why? There is no biblical proof for it uh, very, uh, very directly, but he could overhear the love flowing from one person of the Trinity to the other one. You need Im- imagination to hear that. You, you know that in Hebrews it's written that God spoke in many ways in the past. But in this last age, he spoke through his son. Can you hear his son? Well, that's not, maybe not a human voice, how that can be understood. It's what he has done for us. Have you considered this morning what Jesus done for you? Have you ever considered, or you just read your Bible with common sense, that's not enough if you are not in awe and marvel of the glorious redemption achieved on the cross, if that doesn't speak to you, tell me what else can speak to you ever. I wonder why we are not moved to the very core of our hearts uh, seeing such a wonderful, uh, glorious God. And he called to Moses and the Lord spoke to him. There is uh, in Hebrew no capitalization at all. Uh, so the Hebrew pronoun can means that he spoke to himself. And Moses overheard that. Well, <clears throat> and what is in the prayer of David, which still is a mystery uh, which fills the heart with adoration. I will conclude with this, if you still can tarry with me for a few more minutes. Um, uh, what we read oh, oh, first of all a rabbi, a Hungarian rabbi in the 19th century uh, described this uh, overhearing. He says, it comes to tell of Moses' virtue that when he came to speak to the eternally blessed God, he was ashamed to start, and he needed permission, as when in front of a king one needs to ask permission before speaking. So, too, the blessed one must start by indicating that he wanted Moses to speak with him. This occurred not through an angel... Rather, Moses would hear the voice as if speaking to itself, and afterwards he spoke to him in the second person as a man speaks to his friend, but not at first, for the preparation for the utterance was not proper to be done in the second person. There was... uh, a believer in the communist prison whenever they were to study the word of god he he would take a clean shirt in honor that he he uh, honoring the word that he is stepping in the presence of the king of kings where is this worship gone from our from our lives we just automatism to read our passage for the morning. When it was the last time you overheard the son speaking? And I I conclude now with um, an amazing discovery what I have seen uh, 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 in the wisdom of the rabbis because um, the verse uh, in Exodus fourteen verse uh, thirty. Does the Lord delivered Israel that day? The Hebrew consonants can be read as it were written, thus the Lord was delivered when Israel is redeemed. God is, as it were, also redeemed. That's what they suggested. And Rabbi Akiva uh, was arguing with Rabbi Ishmael about this, and uh, the, uh, historically we can see that Rabbi Akiva came the closest to Christianity because there is some re- some resemblance here of the of the uh, the of the self humiliation, self emptying of Jesus on the cross, and why is that? is because we can translate uh, verse 23 in a different way. Uh, the last part of it, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. Now I'm quoting from uh, another translation. Gods can be read in singular as there is no distinction in Hebrew between plural or singular of using that name. Now that becomes very interesting. With other words, when God was redeemed, as a result, even Israel was redeemed. Was it for ourselves that God was concerned with our redemption? No, God was concerned with his own redemption. And why is that? Because God's needs take precedence over the human needs. Look at the Lord's Prayer. There are six requests there. The first, the second, and the third is about the need of God, which takes precedence over our needs, the last three needs, right? Your name should be sanctified. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, on earth as it is on in heaven. Three needs of God comes before the needs of man, and that's uh, like this is uh, is uh, in a in a way uh, this means that God not only had compassion on his people when his people suffered. But he identified himself with his people. He was in all exiles walking together with his people. And he said, your needs are my needs. I have to be saved from my needs and then you can be saved together with me. That's an amazing way of putting it. In a sense, uh, the the thief on the left hand of Jesus, he was right to some extent. He said, "Save yourself, and then save us as well." In in a way, his desire was right, but it wasn't uh, correct because. We need Jesus to be saved from the death. And it wasn't Jesus who saved, resurrected himself, but mostly the New Testament says that the Father resurrected the Son. If only in a, uh, the, 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 the overwhelming majority of the verses are about the Father resurrecting the Son. Now that that points to... Uh, to our need that our needs were uh, his priority and in order that his needs should be our priority. In such a relationship, such an organic union with Christ that each of, of those who got united with Christ are looking for the priority of the other one. For the prior priority of the other one's request, so think it through. God had not only compassion toward his uh, toward his people from heaven, but he condensed and he dwelt with his people, and he could dwell in a tent. He could move quickly wherever there was need, there was depression, there was. Uh, Sin, and there was uh, uh, somebody calling upon the name of Jesus who wanted salvation. so let's be uh, encouraged that my need is first of all god's need, and I can pray uh, boldly for god's needs to be satisfied because that will bring the satisfaction of my own needs as well. Amen.